0: We here at Grace Life would love to help you discover Jesus' unconditional love and grace for you. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you and further establish you in the truth of God's word. But we started off with a series on complete is, a, is going through the book of Colossians. And uh, if you made good notes in the first three parts, you'll realize we're not very far down, down the book of Colossians yet, amen? But there's so much in the Bible that we can't just go through one book like you can, but like, we're going to have to fill it in from other places, and that's what we're doing. But let's turn to Colossians 2. Colossians 2 and verse 1, and that's where I want to kick us off this morning. And um, it says, For I would that you know what great conflict I have for you, And for them that are in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all the riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and the Father and of Christ. So much. So much in there. Look at verse 2. It says, I've got this conflict he speaks about. And he says, why do I have a conflict? He says, so that your hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love. And that's really why we, as a church, we want to minister not just from the pulpit, but from within. That is the hearts being knit together. That's what life groups are about. That's what we do when we pray, when we stick out our hand. It's not just a symbolism. It is actually you are sending forth your love, the power of God in you, to someone else. And you are letting that out in the spiritual realm. And that is what it is. We are, we are meant to be together in Acts, uh, Acts 4. In the Passion Translation, it puts it beautifully. It says there was none, no selfishness in their community. I love that. There was no selfishness in their community because they had all things in common. We know that from, from New King James. But what does it mean? It means selfishness is not, oh, I have to give and other people are going to take. No, sometimes you also need. And then there will be for you to take as well. But it's not about taking, it's about giving because that's what God said. But it's to be knit together in our hearts, to be comforted. Now, you can underline the word comforted there if you underline in your Bible, or you make a note. Unto what? Unto all the riches of the full assurance of understanding. And that's really why we are laboring this, this series or, or this topic on what it means to be complete. We are laboring what it means to be complete because therefore, or from that place, comes the assurance. We want to be assured of what we have, but then we need to be woven together like it's not just... What's the problem with, um, with YouTube Church? It's not church. That's the problem with it. Because how are you woven together? How are you reaching out? How are you like having all things in common? How are you not selfish? Now, there was a time where we needed to be online, and then we were online, but we try and be interactive as much as we can because we want to be woven together. I need to know what's going on in your life. And that's why even from the front, Natasha and I share a lot of personal stuff with you so that you know what's what's going on in our lives. Why? Because we're family. Not because we want you to, to, to feel bad for us or feel good for us or think we're weird. No, just because that's what family does. Now, family is not always on the same page, amen? But we're trying very much to bring this family on the same page, at least doctrinally, in the love of Christ. That's our resonance, is the spirit with which we operate. And it says, being knit together in love unto all riches... Now, what is the true riches? And I'm working on a... I think it's going to be a series or a conference, I okay? mean. My sister laughed at me yesterday. She said, have you prayed for tomorrow? You still have that seven sermons you write last week. I said, no, I've got more than enough sermons. <laughs> Since going to Zimbabwe and digging into the Word, I've got many, many sermons and series, and I've got notes all over. But the true riches is what? It's unity in the faith. It's oneness with Christ. The true riches that the Word speaks about is spiritual. I wasn't planning on going here, but let's go for it. So Jesus says what? He has become poor so that we can do what? Become rich. Who's heard that before? Okay, so what, what, what's the poorest the man can be? To be without God. What did Jesus say on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he became without so that we can be with with God, with His presence, with His anointing, with the Holy Spirit in us and through us. And that really is the true riches, the promise of Abraham. It's not many cattle, many children. It's that God lives in the flesh body now that the Spirit's been poured out. Galatians 3 and verse 14 speaks about it, that the promise of Abraham might be fulfilled. Verse 13, we know it says, for um, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. He's redeemed us from the curse, for cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Why did He do that? To open the door for salvation, to open the door for blessing, to open the door for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. Jesus said that after the resurrection, He says, my work here is not done because the Holy Spirit's not yet been poured out. What did He mean when He said it is finished? And then later on he raises from the grave and he says, "I have not, don't touch me because I have not yet gone to my Father. But Jesus, I thought it's done. We're speaking about the law and the prophets. That is done, that's complete, that's fulfilled. But now he had to go to the lowest of lowest places, Hades, the place of the dead. He had to go to the highest, Lord of right like, name, place of Jesus, next to the Father. And guess what? David wrote and he says, even if I make my bed in hell, you are there. What did he say what did he mean with that people go and hide or die and go to a place of the dead and then what did jesus do he went there and what did he do there he preached the gospel to them he preached righteousness what did noah preach righteousness what did jonah preach repentance unto salvation what happened to nineveh were they crushed no why because they believed the message a good news message of hope. You see how the Bible is not confusing. You need people to, to help you confuse the Bible. Noah, Jonah, all those things. There's a picture of Christ. This is, this is what's going to happen. What does Noah do? Builds this ark. Sign of a covenant. Sign of hope. He builds this ark and he says, what? Come. There's the end is near. Come. Repent. Get on the boat. What do people do? No, thank you. What do we do? Come, the end is near. Receive Christ, receive Jesus. People are like, no, thank you. What's going to happen at the last day when the trumpet, the great trumpet blows? It's going to be like the rain came, and if you're on the boat, you're fine, and if you're not on the boat, you're not fine. Is that fair? It's 100% fair. Is it sad? It's, it's very sad. Is it why we need to invite more people onto the boat? Of course it is. That is what's going to happen at the last day. It's just going to be, we told you this is going to happen. And how do we know? Because we've seen the shadows, we've seen the stories, we've seen the narrative in the old, now we live in the fulfillment in the new. The Bible really makes sense if you take it end to end. That their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, unto all the riches of the full assurance of understanding. You see how he doesn't say all the riches of all the gold and the money in the world. He says all the riches in the full understanding and assurance to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. So what is this mystery? A good way to, do, to, um, to study the Bible is to reverse. It's to reverse through it. Because if you understand from the New, you understand from the Epistles what happened, what was fulfilled in the Gospels, and you look at what was promised in Moses and the, and the prophets, all of a sudden you see that, that golden thread. But now we, we jump into, yeah, today I'm going to read Colossians 2, and you feel like, you feel pumped. Now you read the mystery and you go on, but you didn't read Colossians 1, or you read it three weeks ago and then life got busy and your Bible reading plan is behind and you go to U version and you say, catch me up. Who knows that button? Catch me up, and then you feel better about yourself. Okay, now I told you something, grace. Have grace on yourselves. (laughs) Catch me up. So if I say catch me up, Colossians 1 and verse 27 speaks to us, what is this mystery? So we need to not come to conclusions on what the terms of the Bible mean. We need to find the Bible's definition of the terms of the Bible, amen? Riches, true riches, that's God in a man. The promise of Abraham. It's not kettle and kids. Kettle, sorry. Cackle. All of that goes together. (laughs) Remember, I'm not sleeping as much as I used to, so you need to be careful. We had a good night last night. We only were up two or three times, I think. What is this mystery? Colossians 1.27, To them God will to make known what are the riches. There you have it again. Of the glory of this mystery. What's the true riches? It's the revelation of the mystery. What is the mystery? Of who we are in Christ. Christ in you. The hope of glory. I went to... to whenever you go on a trip, a mission trip, you, you come back different. Who, who can agree with me? Who's been on a mission trip and came back different? You think you're going to go and like change Albania and then Albania changes you. No, never mind. You think you're going to go change Zimbabwe and then Zimbabwe changes you. And what I realized is those, those people lost three-quarters of their monthly income overnight. Their savings, if you had U.S. dollars, now I said it last week as well, you need to divide that by 120 to know what you've got in the bank right now. So all of a sudden, you, you, you believe scriptures that says that riches grow wings and fly away. <laughs> those scriptures we never speak about. Amen? Amen. But why are they still rejoicing? Why are they still persevering? Why are they still stepping out? Because they have the true riches. Not the ones that grow wings and fly away. No, but they have the revelation of who Christ is on the inside of them. And they can change your currencies. They can take your income. But you know the provider lives in you. You know you have the mind of Christ, of all wisdom, all creativity. You know that you can overcome. You know that when everyone is losing, you can even sit with the Holy Spirit, get downloads from heaven, and make multi-million dollar deals. And it doesn't have to be on the black market. Amen. Because <laughs> God honors faithfulness. God honors honesty. So the mystery really is the riches of who Christ is on the inside of us. Colossians 1.28 then says, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Monique, can you turn me just up a little bit, please? I need to save my voice. This whole week I had a, 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 a yes voice. <clears throat> Him we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man, what? Perfect in Christ Jesus. I love, 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 love that. What is our message? Him. So you're going to encounter family, you're going to speak at life group, you have a group that you want to lead at work. What is your message? A lot of people don't know where to start, so they never start. Here is your message. Your message is Him. The message is Christ. Him we preach. Not anything else, but Him. Warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom. Why? That we may present every man what? Perfect. So the way I used to understand this verse, and you might be on on the par with me, is we need to keep on teaching so that people come to perfection. You can get that from this, but it's wrong. We show people... How perfect they are in Christ. And once jerusalem has got it, I go to Jackie. And once Jackie has it, I go to Glenn. And once Glenn has it, I go to Christy. And that is so we present every man perfect in Christ. Perfection is a one-time deal, but now we need to get everyone there. Amen? I hope you get that from the verse. The Amplified says, We proclaim Him, warning and instructing everyone in all wisdom, that is, with comprehensive insight, into the word and purposes of God. That's beautiful. So we need to understand the Bible, and hence the focus in the evening service is what is the validity, the function, and the message of the Bible, because that is our sword, and we need to be like samurais with our sword. We need to be one with that sword. We need to know exactly how it works. 2 Timothy 2.15 says we need to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. The word there is like a surgeon with a scalpel. If If you need to go for surgery, You want to know that the surgeon knows what he's doing, I mean, that he's not having the shivers and the shakes and he's not so sure and he's never done this before and you want him to to know that he knows. I remember I had to go for a shoulder operation uh, just before I turned 21 after uh, a few uh, recurring rugby injuries. In the last game that I played, I I dislocated my shoulder and I realized it's probably the last game I'll ever play because I just came out of rehab for a dislocated shoulder, so I didn't go off. I wanted to play some more. So by halftime, the shoulder is dislocated four times. And luckily, every time it popped back by itself, because apparently the, the worst is when they have to force it. Why it came back so quickly is because the, the scapula just it chipped. So it was easy to go in and out. Um, I didn't realize that. And then I go for this operation. And uh, I still have the scar here. And I go after the operation for my checkup. And the doctor, he says to me, That's not, I don't cut like that. I'm like, what do you mean? I was like, he says that I didn't operate on your shoulder. I said, I don't know who did because I went down. I was asleep. You were there, not me. What happens then? You get nervous. (laughs) What did this guy do? Or was it even the right, it was the right person. I think he just didn't understand. They do obviously a lot of operations in a day, but he said like, I don't cut like that. What what am I trying to convey? We need to know this is how we preach. When someone said, Peter said this and that, you should know he doesn't speak like that. Or I'll have to check up on that. Or I need to go study it out for myself. I don't don't cut like that. The the Word of God, the scalpel in my hand, doesn't do that. That's not the message. The message is Christ. The message is the mystery revealed. The message is oneness with Him. The message is to show everyone perfect and complete. That we may present every person complete in Christ. Mature, fully trained, and perfect in Him, the Anointed. The Passion puts it like this. Christ is our message. We preach to awaken hearts and bring every person into the full understanding of truth. It has become my inspiration and passion in ministry to labor with a tireless intensity, with His power flowing through me to present every believer the revelation of being His perfect one in Christ Jesus. What is it that we preach? Christ. What is the revelation? Perfection in Him. I love revelations. I love when I see how Jesus turning water into wine is a picture of the new covenant. I love how to see how the Old Testament is fulfilling shadows of the substance of Christ. I love those things. But if it is not about Christ, we should have no, no, no don't bother. Once we start preaching revelations, there's just wild wow moments about how Moses did this or how Jonah did that. And if it doesn't point to Christ, then we are missing the point. The revelation, the book of Revelation, puts it clearly. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Not about dragons and red moons and end times. How can one book of the Bible be different to the message of the rest of the Bible? It cannot. But people are fear-driven if they are fleshly. So they love those things. Those series sell, the products move, move, the, the conferences are filled on end times. Because that is what we can do to change what the end looks like. The end is what the end is going to be. Remember. What's the end going to be? It's going to be like the days of Noah. Jesus said it. It's going to be like the days of Noah unto you, when the flood came. The end days, when you're in the ark, in the boat, you're fine. It's the revelation of Christ. Be one with Him. You're fine. Colossians 2 and verse 1. For I want you to know what great conflict I have for you. And for those who are in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches, of full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both the Father and of Christ. We have to, to have confidence in what we believe. You don't want to know, like, is it really like that? Or, or this pastor says this, and this guy says this, and this ministry has that revelation. I said it to the ministry school students the other day. This um, one course we're doing, the person said, he believes that there's apostolic people over specific messages. So one person is an apostolic oversight over faith and another one over grace. And I said, I don't believe that. Because there's one message. It's the message of the Bible. It's the message of salvation. It's the message of Christ. Yes, it's by grace through faith. So how can one, if you only have faith, then you're not in Christ. If you only have grace, then you're not in Christ. It's by grace through faith. um, Ephesians 2 and verse 9. If we go through the book of Acts, Acts 2, Acts 7, Acts 13, there are three powerful sermons in there. One by Peter, one by Stephen, and one by Paul. Acts 2, Peter speaks up, and what happens? 3,000 people get saved. Simple message. Homework, go check it out. Acts 7, Stephen stands up. Simple message, starts in Genesis, takes them through. Abraham, Exodus, Moses, boom, 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 Christ. Christ. What do they do? They cut to the heart. Acts 2, they cut to the heart, 3,000 people get saved. Acts 7, they cut to the heart, they pick up stones and they kill him. You see, the power of a message, the accuracy, the effectiveness of the message is not how good you feel, bubbly and, and, and chirpy when you go out of here. It's whether you cut to the heart. It's whether you've encountered the true Christ, the message of the Bible. And then it's up to every individual to realize and decide what am I going to do with what I've just heard? Am I going to accept Christ Jesus or am I going to just say, ah, oh, it's for them? As the days of Noah, so is it unto you. People said, ah, oh, what is rain? What is this? We don't believe. And then the floods came and the rain came. And only eight people. Number of grace. Don't get stuck on the little number. Grace. God saved. Noah found rest. Grace found rest in the eyes of God. Go read that in Genesis. I believe it's around 15. Grace found rest. Colossians 2 and verse 3. In Him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures. The true riches is not money. The true riches is in Christ. Wisdom and knowledge. You can lose money, but you can always come up with new ideas. You can lose money, but you don't need to lose heart. Because with Christ in you, you can persevere. Wherein is this? It's in Christ. Colossians 2 and 3 from the Passion says, For our spiritual wealth is in Him, like hidden treasure waiting to be discovered, heaven's wisdom, and endless riches of revelation. How beautiful is that? Endless riches. Yo, that will sell. Let's make a conference. Endless riches. True prosperity. I'm joking. I'm prepping you. We're going to have this conference soon. The communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is where? In you, where? In Christ Jesus, Philemon 1 and verse 6. Look at this. The sharing of your faith may become... What is faith? You see, I'm at a place where I'm questioning, not, I'm pausing, not questioning, I'm pausing at every word, basically. What is faith? Faith is what you believe. What is what you believe? It's your doctrine. What is the first book of Timothy all about? Leadership? No. Doctrine. Speaking to leaders about the importance of the doctrine. That's what 1 Timothy is all about. 1 Timothy 6 is all about money and now you shouldn't love it. That was interesting at Manakea on Friday morning. It was awesome for those who were there. Because it sets you free. It makes you one with God. It reminds you of you have the true riches. So this monopoly money that the world plays with, we can have some of that too. But the true riches is not what the earth has. It is what the Spirit has. And from that place, yes, we can be effective even in this world. Communication. That the communication, that the sharing, the King James speaks about communication. In other words, the the New King James speaks about sharing. So then I want to go look it up. It means fellowship. It means association or community. The communion, the joint participation. It even uses the word intercourse in the Strong's Concordance. So the sharing, the communication, is basically the intimacy of what? Of your belief, of your doctrine, of your faith. That is what needs to become effective. It says, the share which one has in something. Intercourse, fellowship, intimacy. The right hand as a sign and pledge of fellowship in fulfilling the apostolic office. So when I marry someone, then I say, you can now give each other the right hand. And then they say, yes, we are ready to enter into covenant. That's exactly what that word sharing, communication means. The sharing of your faith. When we say, yes, I see what you see, and I'm going to believe what you believe. I believe in Christ, the message of the Bible. Now there's effectiveness. Now there's motivation. Now there's the snow, snowball is rolling, and we're going to go places. Amen? A collection, a contribution, an exhibit, an embodiment, and a proof of fellowship. So it's one thing to say, yah, like it like for church. Yeah, I go to church on Sundays. Yeah, that's, that's not going to be effective doctrine, effective faith, effective belief. It's when we have fellowship, when we, when we give each other the right hand, when we, when we do life together, like Acts 2, Acts 4 speaks about. They were going from house to house, meeting together, eating together. Communion there is the togetherness of what? Of the faith, the assurance, the belief of our fidelity. The profession which we have. The Strongs puts it as the reliance upon Christ for salvation. So look at this that the communion we have with each other in our reliance upon Christ only for our salvation will become effective. So when we realize that we only need one thing, we need Christ as our Savior and we are all in heart and unity around that, then what we have is going to be effective. I think it's beautiful. You wanted a blueprint, you wanted a plan to grow the church, to change the world, there it is. Realize that all we need is Christ, and let's come to a continuous agreement about that, and let's live from that place, and now what we have, we know it's powerful, but now it's going to be effective. So the picture I had about the boat with the motor engine, the, the, all the power is there, but if it's not turned on, it's not turned on. And we want to keep on like, oh, this is the message on finance and on healing and on this and on that. And oh, yeah, Glenn, you've got that revelation and Christian, you've got that revelation. So, but now Glenn can't be here that week, so now we, we're deficient. It's one message. It's behind us. It's inside us. It's the power of Christ. And when we come into that understanding, we align ourselves and now we have effective lives and we know, listen, we can all preach. We don't need Peter to preach every Sunday. I thought you were going to say amen. <laughs> I'm saying amen. Because why? We know what we're going to preach. So you don't know who's going to preach when you come, but you know what the message is going to be. It's going to be Him. It's going to be Christ, because Christ is our message. Amen? It's the gospel. It is grace. What is grace? Revelation of salvation through Jesus' death and resurrection. That's grace. By grace, through faith, through your belief. Philemon 1 and verse 7 says, For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. What a, what a statement. We have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts, the bowels of the saints have been refreshed. You know that sometimes it's heart, sometimes it's bowels, sometimes it's belly. It's the same place where the Holy Spirit is going to flow from. That's the same word. It means the inner man. And some people say it's the heart, some say it's the belly, but some people's belly sit more on the outside than on the inside, amen? So uh, we need to know that it's from the inner man that that flows. Our great joy and consolation in what? Love, because of the hearts of the saints, the inner man of the saints, of the holy ones. The word joy there is charis, which is where we get grace. So grace should really make you happy. Grace should show up on your face, amen? There's some side effects to having Christ, we said last week. One of them is healing, Romans 8 and verse 11 says that this resurrection power will give life to your mortal body. Another side effect of grace is joy. We need to tell our faces who's inside. Amen? (laughs) We need to tell our faces. There's a book outside, How to Be Happy. If if your face doesn't know what Jesus on the inside looks like, go get that book. There's a teaching as well. Listen to it. So the joy there is charis, it's grace, that that we have great grace, we have great joy, we have great... um, Pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness, the grace of speech. Why? In consolation, that word there is comfort. We have great joy and comfort in your love. That makes sense. You see why we need to not read the word but study it? Because we don't have the same dialect and lingo like King King James and his countrymen had. But it's good for doctrine, but now we need to see what, is, what, is, what did it actually mean? It says, we have great joy, great grace in the comfort, the, the consolation. The word there is paraclesis. Paraclesis. It's exhortation, admonition, encouragement, consolation, comfort, solace, that which affords comfort and refreshment. Now, listen to this. Thus speaking of the messianic salvation... So the rabbis called the Messiah the consoler and the comforter. So they were speaking about this one who is to come, and the rabbis in the Jewish faith said, listen, there is coming the Messiah. He's going to be the consoler. He's going to be the one of consolation. He is going to be what? The comforter. Now this, when when I read that, all the bells go off. And I know I'm not going to finish the last 50, 50- verses that I had for today and I like just cut them out and put them in the new note and and now we're going to camp here. Because John 14, John 15, John 16 speaks about this. So you see how we read in Philemon. Now I'm reversing okay, this is what Paul says to Philemon about the comforter. Now what did Jesus say about the comforter? And then we go look at what did the Old Testament prophesy about the comforter. Now we've, we've jumped because the rabbis of old said this one is coming the Messiah, he will be the consolation. He will be the comfort. He will be, and how will He come? He will come through caress, through grace, through joy, to what? Bring comfort. Not through works to bring acceptance, no, through grace to bring love and comfort. There's one thing when you're accepted. You know, when you do a rating on Booking.com or NBNB, how was the room? Ugh, five out of ten, it's acceptable. It's, but when it's comfortable, when it's more than acceptable, but it's exceptional, You see how our grace takes us not just into being accepted by God, but now we live in the comfort, the love of God. Beloved, now are you the sons of God. Beloved, now are you the sons of God. So live in comfort. Live consoled. Live with the power of God on the inside of you because it is. That's basically what John is saying. So John 14 and verse 16 says, And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another comforter, that He may abide with you forever. So, the rabbi said the comforter is coming. Now, look at how Jesus is using their words. He says, I'm going to pray to the Father, and He'll send you not the comforter, but another comforter. By saying that, He's claiming that I am the comforter. I am the Messiah. Because remember, the the rabbis taught from the scriptures that the Messiah is coming and he's going to be the comforter. Now he says, the whole conversation is here, is it better for Jesus to be with his disciples or or, or go away? He says, don't worry, guys. If I go, I'm going to send you another. So another means more than one. So there's one. I have a bottle of water. Jerusalem, please bring me another bottle of water. So it doesn't mean you're going to bring me the first bottle. You're going to bring me another bottle. You get that? see, I'm African, so I need to explain this to myself. I'm going to send you another comforter, meaning I am the comforter, but I'm going to send you another one. So, the question then is why? Why? Well, he answers us, he says that he may abide with you forever. So Jesus in his earthly suit, his, his earth body couldn't abide with us forever. But now he's sending the Holy Spirit, who is basically the second comforter, the eternal comforter, who is going to be comforting us forever. The parakletos. So we had paraklesis and now parakletos, a helper, an aider, an assistant, speaking about the Holy Spirit, destined to take the place of Christ with the apostles after his ascension to the Father. To what? To lead them deeper into the knowledge of the gospel truth and give them divine strength needed to enable them to undergo trials and persecutions on behalf of the divine kingdom. Verbatim from the Greek lexicons. speaking about the one who's coming to fulfill the place of Christ. Now he explains it in verse 17. He says, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be where." out there in heaven and you shall call him down when the worship keys are perfect and the smoke machine is just right. No, he will be in you. How will you know him? Intimately. We are one. What's the message of the Bible? (laughs) We are one. That's it. One with Christ. What's the plan of salvation? To become one with him. Then in verse 18, remember who's speaking? Who's speaking here? Jesus. He says, I will not leave you orphans. I will not leave you Comfortless says one of the other translations. I will not leave you fatherless. I will not leave you without someone taking care of you. I will not leave you without a teacher or a guardian. Meaning, I will, I, will, I will take care of you. You will lack nothing. You will be complete. Yes, I'm going away, but I'm going to send you another comforter so that you will not be orphaned, you will not be fatherless, but you will be complete, lacking nothing. I will come to you. Now, Jesus says, I'm going away, I'm sending another comforter, and then he's saying, I'm coming to you. So there's two ways you can interpret this. The one is that the Spirit of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. Because if God is triune is one, then we have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. The other thing is, I'm going to send you the comforter until I come again. It doesn't really matter because we're going to be one with him anyways. And then 1 John says that you will wake up one day and see like who we really are because you will see him as he is. Not saying that we're going to change into what he is. It's saying we have already changed into what he is, we just haven't seen what it looks like. So when Jesus comes back, we're going to see, oh, that's what I've been all along. That's awesome. So you're not waiting. What's the problem with Christians? They're waiting. We're always waiting. Waiting to go. Waiting for a word. Waiting for money. Waiting for a prophecy. Waiting for a conference. Waiting for a revelation. Jesus said, go! And what did he say? I'm coming back. And when I come back, you will see who you really are because you shall see Him as He is. But 1 John 4:17 says, as He is, so are you, when? In this world. But we are waiting for our resurrected bodies to change the world where God says you are one with Christ, one with the power, one with the comforter. So when people encounter us, they should be convicted, yes, but they should be comforted. Because love does both. Love is not going to let you lie in your pit of mud mud and, and misery. It's going to pull you out of there and say, hey, grow up. Because what you have is worth more than what you're doing with it now. But it's also going to love you and comfort you into saying, listen, we can change the world. Let's do it together. I will not leave you orphaned. Good, good father. Let's become good, good fathers to the world who's orphaned. Let's stand up, put on our big boy pants and live like Jesus for a bit. Let's be part of the solution. How do you do that? Intimacy with the Father. You need to be comforted first before you can comfort others. I agree 100%. But you don't need me to comfort you. Yes, I have the comfort in me and I can help, but you don't need that. You can just sit by your house, sit by yourself. Put on some worship music if you want, pray in tongues and say, oh, God, make me aware of your comfort. Make me aware of your presence. Not come in, Lord, and It's not fasting and prayer. It's nothing like that. It is just becoming aware of the completion you have in Christ, the oneness you have with Him. Because John 14, 15, 16 speaks about the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. John 16, 17, 18 speaks about how do you survive a crisis. Jesus is preparing them for the cross, the biggest crisis in history. They miss it, and who's there? Only John. Judas is hanging himself. Peter is denying Christ. We don't know where the others are. For Jesus. He pulled his life into 12 guys to be with them through this. He comes back in the, in the garden and gets him and says, can't you just stay awake? I know when you're so tired you can't stay awake, so I don't condemn them. But that's in the flesh. They had to pray in the Spirit. They haven't had the outpouring of the Holy Spirit yet. They had the authority of the name of Christ and that's something different. But that's not for today. You are complete. So why are we laboring on this? The fact that we are complete in Christ. Colossians 2 and verse 4. We started with 1, 2. Now we look at verse 4. And I say this. I'm telling you this. I have this conflict for you. Lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. What does the word beguile mean? Let anyone should deceive you, steal from you, cheat you. That's what they're saying. Paul is writing this. He says, listen, this mystery is revealed. This mystery is your true riches. Why am I keeping on about this? Peter, why are you? I thought this series is long gone. Why are we back here? Because I don't want people to deceive you. I don't want people to steal from you. I don't want people to preoccupy you with other things. The next revelation, the next conference, the next thing, the next key, the next step that you need to see your breakthrough. Because that's stealing from what we have. And actually what we have is Christ. So if they're stealing from what we have, they're stealing from Christ. We prayed in a pre service meeting for boldness. I think that was pretty bold. This is how, how, how serious this is. Because we are trying to to fill something that is full. We are trying to perfect when we are perfect. We are trying to complete when we are complete in Christ. And all the while the world is dying and burning and, and, and waiting for Christians to show up. Saying, I'm not sure if this Christian thing is real. Sure. Are we sure? Because if we don't believe in what we have, how will others believe in what we shall them? But let's do one more revelation on this, or one more conference on this. Or We're deceived. We have the fullness of Christ, the completion of who He is. The Passion says, I want you to know this, so that no one will come and lead you into error through their persuasive arguments and clever words. That's the problem. It sounds so good. It sounds so right. It is in the Word. It is in Scripture. Take this back to Genesis. What did the snake do? Exactly what Paul is speaking about. He deceived through persuasive words. Telling them what? That they are not like God. What is the series about? Trampling the head of the snake, the lies that's saying that you are not like God, with persuasive, clever arguments and words. That sounds so good, and it, I can see how they get there, and, and this translation sort of gets there as well. Uh, forget about how they get there. Is it the message of the Bible? Is it the gospel of truth? Is it what salvation is all about? Is it oneness with Christ? You, you see, we can't camp in, in the wisdom of Proverbs when we have the mind of Christ. He has become unto us, what? Wisdom. So we go to the book of wisdom, but we see what Christ is like, not what we need to do. We see what we can operate in because we already have that. We're not trying to get that. We are seeing what we have because we are complete in Christ. Christ is wisdom. And even in that, there's all there's things there that are not necessarily applicable if you operate under the Holy Spirit. You read the book of Acts. They need to fill Judas' place. What do they do? They cast lots. Please never cast lots to, to and pray over it. Please. You're going to be deceived. It was before the Holy Spirit was poured out. Now the Holy Spirit is poured out, and now we don't hear a voice behind us, we hear a voice within us saying, This is the way, walk in it. But we do it together. And that's the beauty of it. When I make big decisions, I have people I check in with. I phone Shane, I say, Shane. You're my mentor. Like, I think it's crazy. What do you think? He says, I think it's crazy too, but do it. I think it's from God. That's a good leader, eh, amen. And he went like, no, 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 don't say that. Say no. He's just going to say what God says. It's not up to him to make my decisions. I make my decisions. But in community, he hears a piece that I haven't heard. And he he has a, a view that I haven't thought of. And we need to make decisions, even for this campus. I check in with leaders. I check in with Shane, with Chart, with others. And very often, I have A and B, and they come with Z. And Z is is what we go with, because I'm too close to the coalface. But that is what we have. I'm complete, yes, but I don't always have the time to go and sit and pray for five hours in tongues and then tap into the wisdom of God. But I have brothers who have God in Him, same Spirit, and the Spirit has what? The same agenda. So we're going in the same direction. And then we make good decisions together. I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want you to believe error. To be constantly looking for the next thing, the next key, the next revelation, the next breakthrough. When you are saved, you are complete, and your completion is sealed by the promise of the Father, which is His Spirit. We read about the seal of the Holy Spirit, and we think we are sealed from evil forces and demons. No? Was it just me? Sealed, sealed, signed, and delivered. Protected. I'm closing with this, so don't worry. Ephesians 1, verse 13. It says, In whom you also trusted, after that you heard what? The word of truth. What is this word of truth? What is the message? It says, not when you heard a good teaching or a good sermon, when you heard the word of truth. So what you are listening to in the week, is it the word of truth? Is it good teaching or is it the word of truth? The gospel. If you don't know what it is, and you, you know what my opinion, please don't take my opinion. But he explains it so beautifully. He says, the gospel of your salvation. What is the word of truth? The good news of your salvation. What is our message? The gospel of truth. The good news of your salvation. And if it's not complete, it's not good news. Who who agrees with me? It has to be complete. In whom? I thought, what? No, the gospel is a message, but the message is a person. In whom? You see how it's personal. Having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. When you make this package and you and you and you give the gift and you put a seal on I remember we had a W for Viennink and we put that on on gifts and it looks nice but it means you're not going to add anything to it are you the package is complete and now you seal it it says that this is complete this is the full package the Holy Spirit is the seal that says you and I are complete it's not a seal to keep things out so much. Yes, that's the side benefit, again. But if you realize what you have in Christ, you know you don't need to be sealed from demons because demons are fleeing wherever you show up. Because the next time you go into a dark room and you switch the lights on, tell me what the, light, what the darkness did. If the light of God is in you and you show up, what does darkness do? It leaves. It disappears, it dissipates, it's, it's gone. The, the fact that we are complete... The Passion puts it like this, And because of Him, when you were not Jews, heard the revelation of truth, believed the wonderful news of salvation, now we have been stamped with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. It is the final ribbon on the gift, confirming that what you have is complete. And it's not like now you're going to pray in tongues to keep evil and out of your house. No, it's not that. It is like if you have the Holy Spirit, you have all things. That is the seal of the promise. Thus it is that you are complete, perfect, and one with Christ. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to connect with us or if you'd like us to pray with you, please contact us at info at gracelife.co. If you'd like to order more resources or discover more about us, you can visit our website at www.gracelife.co or find us on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube.